Ronan's going to speak on great wisdom. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Cheers, John. Cool. Um, well, it's a great honour to be here today um, to do the Father's Day sermon. And looking out in the congregation, I am well aware of the fact that I am far from the most qualified person. But, yeah, I'll give it a good crack. <laughs> so I've been a father for about a year and a half now. And one thing I found in the first year of fatherhood is I was continually getting asked questions about what I was most looking forward to or things that I want to do with my son when he grows up. Um, but within that first year, just the chaos of having an infant, um, lack of sleep, <laughs> running around constantly, the busyness of life, you just don't get a breather to really think about um, what those things are. Your, your main focus is survival. <laughs> so I'm now past the initial shock of being a father and I'm prepared to give a more educated response. Yeah, so the one thing I want to pass on to my son is wisdom. Um, there's something really intuitive about wanting to teach your child something, um, for a father to pass that on to the next generation. Um, and there's something really natural about wanting your children to love what you love. And for those of you who um, know me, they'll know I'm an absolute nut for fly fishing. Um, so looking forward to when Isaac's a bit more instructable, <laughs> so to speak. Some of, when I look forward, I just, some of the things I just can't wait to do is to teach my son how to cast a fly rod, um, to go up river with him, teach him how to spot trout, be there with him, help him to select his first fly, to chuck at that slowly feeding trout, and to explain to him about the disappointment when you don't catch anything, and how fishing is just so much more than just catching fish. So that's, that's a very practical sort of wisdom. Um, but there's a book in the Bible that is all about a father passing on wisdom to his son. And that's the book of Proverbs. Now, historically, in my Christian journey, I've thought of the book of Proverbs as being a collection of one or two liners that you can pick and choose from, but really... It's kind of like the Psalms. There's a selection of things um, that you can pick and choose, but it's not a complete narrative. Um, but my view on this has changed drastically. Now, earlier on in the year, we had a good five weeks locked inside our houses, not going anywhere. And every single month of the year, um, me and my wife select a book off the Bible to study. Now, the month that we had the most time on our hands, that book was the book of Proverbs. Um, 
And to go along with the book of Proverbs, I had a really great resource. Um, there's a biblical scholar called Tremper Longman, and he wrote a book, How to Read the Proverbs. Now, if you want to nerd out about the book of Proverbs, go into its history and its, its um, ancient context. Just thoroughly recommend it. Really worth engaging in. So, I, yeah, I got intimately familiar with the book of Proverbs. So, here's the introduction. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, oh sorry, of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the opening of Proverbs. And after this opening section, we have this echoed phrase throughout the first nine chapters of hear my son, hear my son. Hear, my son, listen to my instruction. This echoes 15 times in the opening section. So, if this book is about a father's wisdom to his son, we ourselves as fathers should be intimately familiar with it. We should just devour it. We should know it intimately. We should be very familiar with it in order that we may teach our kids wisdom. So we're going to explore the book of Proverbs. We're going to ask the question, what is biblical wisdom? What does the fear of the Lord mean? Who is Lady Wisdom? And how does Proverbs fit into the greater biblical narrative? So we'll just start off by asking, what is biblical wisdom? How does it differ from modern wisdom? Um, if you just want to take a minute, talk to the person next to you. Is there a difference? Is that difference important? Right, so biblical wisdom is something you gain. It is, the actual Hebrew word for wisdom is shared with the same word for skill. They are, they are the same word. Um, it's something you gain. It's something that is accessible to everyone. It requires effort. 
It's not something you're born with. It's not like IQ, but it is similar to emotional intelligence. It is learnt and mastered over a lifetime. And biblical wisdom is all-encompassing. A wise action benefits you, it benefits your family, your community, your environment around you, the world that you live in, and your relationship to God. Now, I'll use an example here of one thing that would be considered modern wisdom, and it's not a really comfortable example because, yeah, it might be quite challenging. Um, So I was very fortunate in my early 20s to be able to purchase my first home. Um, I decided to buy a house in the cheapest neighbourhood I could um, with the goal to profit. The housing market was doing very well at the time, and I bought into it looking to make a cheap buck. Um, and many people around me said, oh, that's, the most, that's a really wise thing to do. It's a really good thing to do, getting your first home. And yes, that is true. But in doing so, I was participating in and enabling the worst housing crisis that this country has ever seen. I had no need for that house. I was flatting. I was... You know, I, I could have held off a year and bought a house that would have lasted me a lot longer. But I went in early, I bought cheap, and I sold high. I profiteered of some of the most vulnerable in our community. I participated in, you know, other young families who needed a house, not being able to access it. I, would pla- I, paid, a ro- I played a role in rents increasing. So, while that's modern wisdom, it doesn't count as biblical wisdom because it was harming the very people that God cares deeply about. And it's not to say that buying a house is bad, but we do need to do it with wisdom. So, modern wisdom is very individualistic It insulates us from the rest of the community, from um, our actions uh, to benefit ourselves. It's survival of the fittest. It's animal instinct. But where biblical wisdom is all-encompassing, it helps every single member of our community and our relationship with God. But it is very challenging. And there's an entry point to wisdom as well, which is my second point. If we just go next slide. So there is an entry point to wisdom, and it's a phrase that repeats itself throughout scriptures. It actually appeared during worship in Psalm 103, and it it makes me feel uncomfortable. But just because something makes you feel uncomfortable, it doesn't mean you should ignore it. So here we go, Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. This is something that goes against our modern culture. Fear is a bad thing. So how how should we fear something that is good? 
You know, in our modern context, we tend to fear things that are hostile, things that are dangerous, or things that look to harm us. But God is none of those things. And yet the fear of the Lord is still very much applicable. So I'm, I'm going to use a bit of an analogy, and it's far from perfect, but if you just close your eyes and imagine you're a massive fan of the Royals. Um, now we have one in Anna Barton. <laughs> I'm not too sure about Seb. <laughs> not very loyal <laughs> to his home country. So we imagine, imagine you're a massive fan of the Queen, of the royal family, and you get invited to a royal dinner. <laughs> Would there be a sense of fear in that occasion? So first of all, the queen is just of a completely different status to you. She exerts power that is far more different to yours. She has authority. That meal would be a fearful event. But how much more so are God's attributes above and beyond that of the queen's? God is so other in power, in status, in authority, in love, in glory. To commune with this God can be a fearful event. And that is not a bad response. Here we go. <laughs> So our God, is, our God is good, he is love, he is altogether lovely, and yet he is the author of all we experience. He created all we see and partake in, in this world, and yet he wants to dwell within us. That is a fearful thing. But it is the beginning of wisdom. If we do not acknowledge the Lord, his might, his power, his goodness, his love. Can we be truly wise? Can we actually look to the world around us and relate to it in a correct manner that not only benefits ourselves truly, but benefits our families, our communities, our created world, and our relationship to this God? So the, the third point is there's another voice in the book of Proverbs, and that is Lady Wisdom. Now, why is it a lady? It's a really good question. So, the Hebrew word um, for wisdom is chokmah, and you could call your daughter chokmah. It is a female name. So, yeah, that, that's why it is a lady. So if we just read, um, just go next slide. So this is Proverbs 1.20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? 
and fools hate knowledge. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Lady Wisdom is a personified attribute of God. She's not a person of the Trinity. She is a metaphorical scheme um, that takes on a whole raft of meaning in the book of Proverbs. She is calling out to all people, and she was possessed by God in the act of creation, saying that all creation is set up under God's wisdom, and wisdom is foundational for the world that we live in. We just need to partake in it. And she's inviting us to a meal. Uh, just next slide. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young woman to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Wisdom here is a choice. We have the choice to either come to this meal or reject it. Wisdom is calling out from the noise of life. But will we, will we listen? Or do we have ears to hear? Will we eat the meal that is the rest of the book of Proverbs? And this leads me into my fourth point, and that's to do with Solomon and his sons. And this is where the book of Proverbs gets really interesting. And we ask the question, well, what did Solomon, what was Solomon actually wise? He starts off his life being this wise king, but at the end of his life, he ends up committing idolatry, um, taking foreign wives as trophies um, to strengthen political allegiances. And then his son, Rehoboam, um, his actions divide God's covenant nation in two. And from there, if we look at the book of First and Second Kings, the whole of Israelite history from this point forward is a train wreck that ends in the exile. God's so God's covenant kings do such a poor job of ruling their people that they end up taken in captivity to a foreign nation. Solomon and his sons fail to be the wise king God's covenant people need. But throughout this time period of history, there's the prophets, and the prophets start speaking. And they continue to talk about one that would come from this family tree, a descendant of David, Solomon's father. And I actually forgot to do a slide for this. <laughs> so if we look at Isaiah 11, for those of you who have Bibles, 
Isaiah 11 is about this descendant of Solomon that will come forth. So Isaiah 11.1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, that is David's David's father, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Now, all these fantastic promises of this ruler that would come forth from David's line, the Old Testament ends and this person has never appeared. There's been some likely candidates, but no one has taken this spot. But it's curious that the New Testament begins with a genealogy. In Matthew 1.1, it starts off, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. In both the gospel according to Matthew and the gospel according to Luke, they make great efforts to link Jesus to David's family line, and in doing so, Solomon's family line. And if we just think about the gospel according to Matthew, is Jesus wise? We look at stories, um, the wilderness testing, wise. Sermon on the Mount, wise. All the parables and the stories about Jesus interacting with those in the world around him, wise. Jesus is this wise king descended from David that God's people so desperately, desperately need. And where Solomon and his sons failed, every time they were tested, they failed. Jesus did not fail the test. So Jesus is our wise, eternal king who was exalted onto his throne on the cross and raised again in power and is now seated at the right hand of God, ruling. Now this is the true wisdom I want to pass on to my son. I want to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn alongside my son. I want my son to embrace Christ as I am embracing Christ. I want to teach him the scriptures. I want to pray with him. I want to have him grow up and where I have been foolish, I want him to be wise. I want my son to emulate Christ more than he emulates me. Now, to conclude all of this, as I've already said, wisdom is so incredibly tough. It's such a challenge, and as blokes, we love to try and be wise by ourselves. 
which in itself is foolishness. So I, I just want to encourage fathers, and even if you're not a father, if you're a bloke, don't do it alone. The Christian life is a life of discipleship. It is a life of community. Um, and this is like equally for me as it is for you. We need to find godly men to get around us that we can talk through these issues. I know many times in my life when I think my actions have been wise, it's taken another person to point out the folly, the foolishness in them, um, how my actions haven't been beneficial to everyone, and I think I've been doing the right thing. That's challenging, and we need other people in order to challenge us. Don't do it alone. So, the ultimate goal is to be in a community with, especially with blokes, I think we, like in New Zealand, we struggle to do this so much. Find godly men, get them around you, have them speak into your life while you speak into their life and talk about what it means to point your children towards Jesus. What does it mean to be a father and following Jesus? How can the teachings of Jesus point us towards good fatherhood? But this takes stepping out of the boat. Well, you did. Um, if the worship band just wants to come up. Um, I'll just close in prayer. Um, I think as the worship band comes, I'll be down the front. If you want prayer for anything like this or you have questions, come, ask, let's talk, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, we just want to glorify you in our lives. You are eternally wise. We are eternally grateful for what you have done for us on the cross. And we just give you all the glory, all the honor. You, are, you, are, you have the name above all other names and we you are in your rightfully exalted position. May we learn from you. Amen.